Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell. Well, it's been a uh, unprecedented week just past, and uh, we're reaching the end of the weekend. NBA basketball, NHL hockey, a lot of the other sports have started resuming games, but um, I do want to touch on uh, this um, this stop uh, stoppage, the um, NBA players that uh, decided to boycott the games, and uh, it led to uh, all the leagues deciding to uh, take a pause, and uh, a much-needed pause so we can reflect on uh, many aspects of the social injustice and things that have happened since George Floyd uh, months ago and Jacob Blake uh, just um, in the last week. So uh, I've d decided to uh, hook up with Jason Cameron so we can shed some light on uh, many aspects of this. And uh, thanks so much for your time today, Jason. I appreciate it a lot. Yep, no problem. Glad to be here. Excellent. Um, yeah, so um, that pause was, uh, yeah, as I said, much needed. Uh, the NBA has decided to uh, form a coalition, and uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the statement that was released. Uh, the NBA and its players have agreed to immediately establish a social justice coalition with representatives from players, coaches, and governors of states. They'll be focused on a broad range of issues, including increasing access to voting, promoting civic engagement, and advocating for meaningful police and criminal justice reform. Uh, there's a lot more to that statement. I, I welcome you to read it on our website and, and on our posts on our podcast platforms. Um, but um, really excited that uh, finally the NBA has formed a coalition. The NHL had formed their um, hockey coalition uh, months ago, and uh, now the NBA has been able to get their voices heard and get this coalition. Um, yeah, were you excited and, and uh, happy to hear that um, this is another step? Of course, yeah, man. Like, it, it's just, it's awesome to see that these guys are obviously clearly that invested in the process of trying to affect change. Not just, you know, wear the t-shirts or say the slogans or whatever, but to actually affect real change. And they're going about it the right way, as far as I'm concerned. And then, you know, with the NBA being unified on this front, not, not just the players just going off and doing it by themselves, but, I mean, with the owners and the, and the NBA, like, uh, administrative staff and all of that all logged in together. And then also, too, managed to get some of the governors of, of certain states on board. It's excellent. It, it's, uh, it's a move in the right direction. And it's, uh, and it's hope for the future, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Another aspect of this was that they're going to open up all the arenas uh, where NBA teams and NHL teams um, house their their uh, the particular teams. Sorry, I can't. Uh, I don't know why I couldn't spit that out. But um, yeah, all the NBA uh, arenas are going to open it up for voting, uh, which is good. Um, it's definitely something that we see on the back of a lot of the players. Please vote. Uh, this is a you know very crucial vote in the history of uh, U.S. and uh, it's great that they, they'll open that up. Uh, it might decrease the lines. A lot of um, voters have always complained about uh, long lines and uh, you know not having that ability to go there and quickly make their vote heard and and move on. Uh, you know I I was frustrated by the last federal vote here. Uh, there was like a three-hour lineup uh, to, to you know place my vote and. Uh, it was, uh, you know, pretty shocking, you know, occurrence when you arrive there and you can't believe the line that you see. And, uh, you know, I drove around to some other polling stations and it seemed like the same boat all over the place. So, um, yeah, that was a, a really great um, move that um, the league made uh, along with the players. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, just providing the facilities, large facilities at that to help facilitate, you know, the voting process is amazing it's amazing that everybody could come together and decide that yes we'll use our arenas to help people get their get their votes in because you know at this point in time i think it's you can definitely say without a shadow of a doubt every vote absolutely count point in time every vote absolutely counts and if you want to see effective change you got to get out there and you got to make sure that your voice is heard you have to vote 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was really happy that, um, the, you know, the NBA took a pause. Uh, NHL was criticized a bit for not taking the pause, but uh, then they really st stepped up uh, the following day, uh, really got together behind the um, uh, coalition that uh, the NHL um, Diversity Alliance has been able to create. And, and um, yeah, it was great to see uh, the Vancouver Canucks were uh, spearheading that initiative. They had um, contacted Ryan Reeves and said, uh, we really want to stand behind you and and let us know what we can do to, to further your movement. And uh, Bo Horvat, um, I guess, was uh, the main spearhead for that with the Canucks organization behind him. Um, yeah, it was, it was exciting and, and really nice to see that the NHL uh, got in line and, and did the same thing that the NBA had just done. Oh, yeah, man. I, you know, like, you know, we all understand that the NHL does, their, their population of visible minorities is rather small compared to the other professional leagues. But I was... I was so happy to see that they took the step necessarily necessary for, for, for change, for, for the fight for social justice. And I was even happier to see that the Canucks were forefront in that, in that push to make sure that, you know what, we need to be a part of this process as well. We need to make sure that it is not okay what's happening in the, in the U S and around the, the world at this point in time. Yeah, no, I, Really happy, and uh, yeah, it was nice. It was really nice that uh, you know the world was able to reflect again and, and put this um, you know top of the news cycle, and and we wouldn't uh, you know have this forgotten uh, you know swept under the rug after a few months, and and um, yeah, um, you know back to the action. Uh, they were able to um, schedule some games starting uh, um, yesterday, and. Um, Unfortunately, there was uh, in the basketball world, there was a couple of deaths with Clifford Robinson and Lute Olson. And then there was a, a death in the entertainment world, a guy that um, has uh, played some very prominent roles in some sport movies and, uh, you know, one of the biggest movies of all time. Chadwick Boseman, um, uh, his family uh, released the details that uh, he passed away at the age of 43 from colon cancer, a four year battle that um, most everybody didn't know about. Uh, he kept it private and, and through the filming of um, a lot of his uh, most important movies uh, was, was sick and, and going through the, this battle and unfortunately he lost the battle. Um, you know, uh, it, it shocked me right to my core and um, yeah, I wanted to let you know and um, yeah, I'm sure it affected you a lot because uh, I know he was a, a meaningful guy to you and, and, and the black community as a whole. Oh yeah, because of just the, of the how well he represented so so many of the icons, whether they be uh, fictional or non-fictional, um, he was just a great man and a great actor. And of course, it's a shock to see a man of that magnitude all of a sudden pass. Because, as you said, he kept his sickness private, and so nobody nobody knew that he was sick. I was I was definitely shocked at his passing and saddened as well. Um, but I'm sure that the man is in a better place and his legacy that he's left is going to carry on through the decades for sure. You know, as far as I'm concerned, there's only one Black Panther and it's Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were uh, talking about the, the sequel um, coming out in 2022. So they would have had to start um, filming it uh, any time now. Uh, you know, that was uh, the first um, Black superhero and, uh, you know, he was a, a really a, a beacon of light for um, so many black people that, uh, you know, really wanted to have a Marvel superhero. Um, that Black Panther, when you watch that, uh, you know, I think you told me that it was, you know, the favorite movie that you've ever, um, ever witnessed, ever had. Uh, you know, he just did a phenomenal job and, and everybody that put that movie together, um, mo one of the most incredible things ever, ever created. Yeah, for sure. It, it, um... It was empowering to see a movie of that magnitude do so incredibly well at the box office. Because you know what, first and foremost, it's a great story. And it, it's, uh, and it was led by a great actor playing a very significant role for the black community, which was literally the first black superhero ever created. And uh, the man represented it well. So may he rest in peace. Yeah. 
Yeah, he played um, Jackie Robinson in the uh, movie 42, um, representing Jackie Robinson's number. Uh, it ended up actually being on Jackie Robinson Day that uh, he passed away. Uh, I thought that was uh, shocking news. Uh, they had moved that date from April 15th because of the pandemic, and uh, it became August uh, 28th. Uh, that was um, amazing that um, it ended up on that same day where he had represented Jackie Robinson so well on the silver screen. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was maybe poignant to a certain extent, you know, like um, because he did represent uh, Jackie Robinson. He did show on the, the big screen all of the trials and tribulations that man had to go through as he tried to play baseball, the sport that he loved at a time where uh, tensions were quote-unquote high so to speak so um yeah he he did a miraculous job with that and he represented what Jackie Robinson was all about uh in baseball as a man as a black man uh as a proud black man in uh the U.S. of A. Yeah yeah well obviously Jackie Robinson breaking that color barrier uh, being that first guy first guy that was um, able to play in the major leagues of baseball as a black man um, you know, amazing story and, you know, an incredible life that he lived. Uh, he also portrayed Ernie Davis, Football Hall of Famer in The Express. He portrayed uh, Thurgood Marshall in the movie Marshall, uh, play, portrayed James Brown, uh, you know, an icon, the godfather of soul. Um, just so many iconic roles. And, and um, there's going to be some specials tonight uh, on TV for anybody that uh, sees this. Uh, they're going to show the Black Panther movie tonight, uh, and then they're going to do, uh, after the movie, they're going to do a tribute uh, to him. So don't miss that. Uh, it'll be um, incredible. Um, the, he was a huge fan of the NBA. He had a lot of really close ties to the NBA. I saw pictures of him with many players. Um, Kobe Bryant picture um, was pretty poignant to, to see that. Uh, both of them now um, passed away. Uh, he was, um, yeah, a big champion of the NBA league. Uh, loved the sport, and uh, they did a really amazing tribute to him, as well as Clifford Robinson and Lou Olson. Uh, talk a lot, of, talk a little bit about um, Clifford Robinson, uh, one of the players that played 18 seasons in the league, uh, made the finals a couple years, won a sixth man, had a phenomenal 18-year lengthy career, and uh, Clifford Robinson was really prominent in Portland. I uh, played for a lot of other teams. I always remember him as a Blazer, and and uh, how great he was then. Uh, talk a little bit about your memories of Cliff. Uh, yeah, Uncle Cliffy. Um, he was a, a great player, uh, six-man player. You came off the bench. He was, I would say, in the modern NBA, he would be considered like a spread four because he could guard, he could, uh, he could hop out, he could hit the three. He was a very versatile player, and he was a very, very good player. And also, too, he brought around the um, – the uh, fashion of wearing the headband is he was, he always, he always wore that headband well. And it was nice to see the players uh, show their appreciation of what he did for the sport by wearing their headbands as well. A lot of players wore their headbands during that time. And uh, yeah, Clifford Robinson was a big part of the Portland Trailblazers success in the early nineties and he'll be sorely missed. Yeah, he sure will be. Yeah. Yeah, he was the tallest player at the time, six foot ten, tallest player to hit a uh, thousand three pointers. Uh, a lot of guys that size uh, didn't go out beyond the arc and, and uh, shoot those threes. He played 461 consecutive games, which was a record at the time. Uh, led the uh, Blazers to two um, championship finals against the Bulls. Uh, obviously, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and all those guys were a little superior and won those championships. But um, yeah, second best team in the league at that time, won the sixth man of the year at 92-93, and um, tons of really amazing tributes. Out of his 18 seasons that he played in the NBA, he only missed the playoffs one year when he was with Golden State. Um, yeah, uh, you know, nice to see the Trailblazers uh, wear those headbands and, and, you know, have a moment of silence uh, before the game for Clifford Robinson, one of the best ever. And then also um, there was, uh, you know, uh, some tributes to Lute Olsen, he, play, uh, he was the coach of the Arizona University for 25 years, uh, put a lot of guys into the NBA, uh, took over a program that was really not very good in the Pac-10, 
when I covered the Pac-10, had an opportunity to talk to Lute, uh, really genius, very smart basketball guy. And uh, I'd really like to go over a lot of the players that, that played for him, that made the NBA. But um, yeah, talk about, um, you know, what, what he did for the Pac-10 and, and ra raising prominence uh, Arizona up to the top of the, of the heap uh, for many, many years. Yeah, he, he most certainly did that. Um, Lute was, he took on a program that just basically really didn't have a basketball program. And he made it into a powerhouse. And then because of Lute Olsen, he was able to better a lot of guys' futures by getting them into the NBA. So a lot of players that have played for Lute or that got into the league owe him a debt of gratitude, which I'm sure they paid that forward numerous multiple times by just doing what he's done for them by helping the youth and helping like the next generation get to that level. Uh, Lute Olsen is always going to be considered one of the great coaches of college uh, basketball as he should be and he'll be sorely missed yeah he sure will be yeah uh made the basketball hall of fame made the collegiate basketball hall of fame uh yeah just um, really really amazing uh, coach for that arizona program um they used to call uh arizona university point guard U because it had produced so many amazing point guards uh steve kerr mike bibby damon stoudelmeyer jason terry uh, among many of the others. Some of the other guys at other positions, shooting guard, small forward, uh, Sean Elliott, Gilbert Arenas, Richard Jefferson, Luke Walton, Andre Iguodala. His grandson is an assistant coach with the Houston Rockets. His granddaughter is assistant coach with the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, they'll be able to continue on his legacy and, and uh, be able to be part of the NBA family. And, and um, yeah, uh, you know, there was a lot of really tr touching Tributes, um, the um, Richard Jefferson uh, talk uh, on the jump this past week, uh, really, really poignant and, and great to hear um, how good of a man he was, how big of an advocate uh, he was uh, for Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, the, the, the furthering the, the black uh, movements. And, um, yeah, it was really nice to hear um, all the great stories about Loot. Uh, I think he was a fantastic guy. Yeah, he was a fantastic man. Uh, he was a great human being and uh, like he was a for sure an advocate of the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, he, he just did so much for the black community uh, as a whole and it's uh, always appreciated for a yeah. person of that magnitude to do what he did to further the cause so to speak. Yeah no it was great. Uh, lived in a fantastic life uh, 85 years old and um, yeah congratulations. Uh, our, our condolences go to the Bolzman family, the Robinson family, the Lute Olson family, and, and all the, the people that uh, have been touched by their lives. Um, you know, uh, uh, just remember them, um, it, you know, for the great things that they accomplished in their life. And, um, you know, we, we will rem remember them with, um, you know, a lot of grace and, uh, you know, incredible achievements. So, uh, we have to move on to uh, some of the games now. Uh, we should, I guess, talk about um, the opening match in the Eastern semifinal between Toronto and Boston. Uh, there was a lot of people that said that um, Boston is going to give Toronto a, a ton of trouble because of their depth. They've got scoring from uh, so many different areas, and, and it proved to be the case today in the 112-94 win Boston had over the Raptors. Uh, I'm just going to go down a bit of the scoring for some of the teams uh, uh, for, for Boston. Uh, Jason Tatum had 21 points, nine rebounds. Marcus Smart, 21 points, six rebounds, four assists. Kemba Walker, 18 points, 10 assists. Jalen Brown, 17 points. Uh, Daniel Tice, 13 points. And Williams, 10 points. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, down and down and down their bench. Uh, pretty incredible uh, effort by Boston, and, and Toronto was in tough today. Yeah, Toronto was in tough because uh, Boston, what they did was they hit their threes, man. 17 threes, I believe, throughout the totality of that game. And, uh, and Toronto was cold. They didn't hit from outside. Um, Toronto's definitely going to need to shore up their D against those guys going forward. Um, and also, too, they're just going to need to hit their open shots when they do have their open shots. It, today, obviously, clearly wasn't their day. 
But um, the next time they play, I'm sure that they'll be more on point when it comes to their three-point shooting. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, that was a big difference. Uh, yeah, it just uh, seemed like uh, Toronto was a little bit off. Um, you know, it's great to see Lowry back. I uh, don't think he was 100%, uh, but uh, nice to see that he's actually been able to hit the court and, and play some valuable minutes. He had 17 points, eight assists, and six rebounds today, so pretty good performance. But, um, yeah, I did notice a lot of missed uh, open threes by the Raptors. And, and uh, yeah, just not, not as solid of a, of a defense that we normally see. Uh, usually they're um, able to, you know, really reduce – the uh, you know amount of um, successful possessions on the other side and and um, yeah I think uh, you know this this week has been tough with uh, you know those games being postponed uh, I think the only thing that it was an advantage for the Raptors is getting Lowry back but uh, I think we'll see a different game in game two oh uh, yeah I, I I most certainly believe that we'll definitely see a different game from them in game two you know like. Uh, like and, and like anybody and everybody within the league, you know, they're, it's hard to switch off that mindset from one thing to an, to the next. You know what I mean? And uh, maybe the Raptors struggled with that a bit. But as pros and as professionals, I'm sure they'll get it together. And the other thing is, too, their, their pick-and-roll defense clearly needs to be better than what it was today. Yeah. Clearly needs to be better than what it was today. So That's true, yeah. They will, they will get – they will get it together, and the, you're going to see a better showing from the Raps in game two. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, well, so uh, that next game was on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, keep keep tuned to Complete Sports for more details of that. Um, the other series uh, will we'll start tomorrow, 3.30, tip-off our time. Uh, Milwaukee-Miami. I think this is going to be a heck of a series. I think we mentioned it last uh podcast um yeah i'm super excited for this uh miami's depth and and you keep pointing out to be you know having the inside outside game Uh, i think they're going to give milwaukee a lot of trouble and uh, i think we're going to see a really long series yeah i I think we're going to definitely see a long series i think i i think milwaukee might be playing a lot of zone to try to shore up or try to cover all those shooters that miami has uh, but I guess we're going to see exactly what kind of defensive measures the Milwaukee will take. But I think they might use that to mitigate all the open shots that uh, Miami's going to get. Because, you know, but, uh, Jimmy Butler's going to do his thing. He's going to drive the lane. He's going to do his kickouts. Um, and then uh, on the opposite end, well, Miami just has to contend with the league MVP. They got to contend with Giannis. And Giannis is going to do – he's going to get his. Um, it's everybody else that will have to step up. And that would, and that includes for Milwaukee, Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton. Those guys, those two need to play well for Milwaukee to get past the Heat. They need to play well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, let's switch to the West. Um, the Lakers were able to um, uh, knock off Portland. Obviously, once Damian Lillard uh, left the bubble and um, – had to go uh, tend to his injuries um, that that really you know didn't bode well for um, Portland being able to advance any further uh, yeah I guess uh, Lakers finally asserted their dominance and and took the victory um, yeah it was a uh, uh, dominating performance by LeBron James and and the Lakers as a whole yeah like you know what I'll, I'll give Portland credit where credit's due they scrapped they fought in that game but unfortunately, they just didn't have enough. I believe they, they dressed nine players because that's all they had was nine players. So they've been clearly decimated by injuries and such. Uh, so I, I give them credit, though. Uh, they, they fought as well as one could, being as handicapped as they were. Um, because, you know, if you're missing pretty much your best player in Dame time, uh, Damian Lillard, it's going to be hot, tough for any team to try to rise up and win against a team of that magnitude against the LA Lakers. Yeah. Uh, Steve Nash um, was the oldest player in NBA history with a 30 point 10 assist game at 36 day at 36 years, 85 days. LeBron James just came in a little bit below that uh, 30, uh, 35 years, 243 days, just ahead of Elgin Baylor and Jerry West as uh, the oldest players with 30-point, 10-assist game. 
uh, LeBron's uh, you know, uh, a absolute marvel at how uh, incredible shape he is and, and how he can lead the, the Lakers to a, a big victory. Um, it looks like um, they'll be fa- well. They'll be facing either Houston or, or Oklahoma City. Uh, Houston's got the three-two lead. Uh, they play that game six uh, tomorrow. Uh, Houston, uh, yeah, has been able to assert their dominance, and um, yeah, I think they probably will win one of these next two games. Uh, Thunder could push it, but um, what, what are your thoughts? Well, you know what, Houston's figured out a way to play defense against Oklahoma City, especially when. Their defensive stopper, uh, Lugens Dort, is on the floor playing against Harden, which is we'll play all the other guys and we'll just leave Dort wide, wide open. <laughs> because unfortunately, the man can't really shoot that well. Um, but I, I did like how OKC somewhat countered that by having, by using Dort as a screener and then rolling him to the hoop, which they should use more of. So that at least he's a threat going to the going to the hoop. At least he's somewhat involved in the offense because when they do that spread offense and they just have him waiting out at the wings, they're just going to leave him open at all times. They're basically daring him to beat them, and that's not going to work. They're not going to win games of that nature. And then I noticed offensively for Houston, they were driving more. They weren't settling as much for threes. Uh, that was a huge, huge. That, that was a huge thing for Houston to do that, and also um, they attacked Shea Gilgis Alexander a lot. You know, they always swung the ball over to his end because I didn't realize it, but he is a very poor defender. Mm. He is a very Ole type defender. So that's something that I think that young man will, might want to address in the off season. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, both Canadians have things to work on. They're both young. Uh, yeah. Most of the, the you know really good NBA players go into off seasons, figure out what their deficiencies is, what what are their weaknesses, deficiencies, and things, and and really work on them to be eventually become strengths. Uh, yeah, they they as we you know as I said, young guys, uh, you know, not fully well rounded yet, but um, yeah, Dort has been really fantastic on the defensive end. Uh, Shea Gil, Gil just had a, a really amazing season and uh, was able to take OKC with the help of others uh, really far this year. And um, But you're right. Um, yeah, they're just – I don't think they're ready yet. I think Houston's um, got the experience uh, getting Russell Westbrook back, even though he wasn't super prominent yesterday. Uh, I think that'll, um, you know, lend to them uh, being able to win this series and, and take it um, – into the next round against the Lakers. Um, okay, so then the other team that's uh, expected to get out of the West are the Clippers, and uh, they finally dispatched the the Mavs today, four to two. Uh, Kawhi Leonard had uh, thirty three and fourteen. Um, yeah, just being able to prove that he's one of the greatest players in the NBA and going after a, a third title and a third different franchise. Uh, Luka Doncic had thirty eight nine and nine today, just um, one rebound, one assist away from a triple double again. Uh, once Kristaps Porzingis went down, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Dallas was definitely overmatched in the series, but, uh, you gotta be impressed with the Mavs, Luca and everything, but, um, you know, the Clippers are just a little bit step above them. Yeah. The Clippers had too many weapons for the Mavericks to contend with. They just have way too many weapons. And after that buzzer beater win by Luca. Kind of woke the Clippers up a little bit. Kind of woke them up. So, um, for the Mavs going forward, their future is going to be ridiculously bright. Ridiculously bright. Because, number one, uh, the Mavs have a great owner. His name's not Dolan. And, <laughs> and also, too, like just having that combination of, of Donkic and, and Prozingis, those two are going to be fantastic for a long, long time. Yeah. Long time. But then going forward now with the Clippers, it seems that they've got their act together. It seems that they're now gelling. They're finally kind of – they're finally playing together as a unit because they haven't been a full unit for so long, even during this year, during the season. So now that they have all their guys together, um, I think I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, they're my favorite to win this year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, defensively, uh, you know, I think they're the best – 
in the NBA. And they, as you know, you and I have said, defense wins championships. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, their depth, uh, you know, having Kawhi have that championship medal and experience and being able to, you know, take over games when he wants to. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Clippers uh, should be one of the favorites, definitely. Um, they, they are going to face either the Utah Jazz or the Denver Nuggets. Uh, that series has been exciting and really fun to watch with Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray going against each other. Uh, Donovan's had a little bit uh, better of Murray. Uh, they lead three games to two, but um, super impressed with the Canadian and, and what he's done. And uh, they're going to be playing tonight at 530. Uh, they're going uh, to try to extend that series and go for a seventh game. Um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been so fun to watch these two young guys battle it out every night. Oh yeah, man. Like this, this, this series, this, these games have been amazing, amazing, it's been amazing, man. Uh, I, I have no idea who is favored in this particular game. I would love to see Denver win so I could get to see a seventh game because I'm greedy. I love good basketball, and I'd love to see these guys keep going at it. Um, yeah, Jamal Murray has been playing out of his mind in this series, and I hope that continues. Actually, you know what? I know it's going to continue. And the same goes for Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is pretty much, it seems like he's almost taken on the offensive load of himself and Bogdanovich, who would normally be there with the team. So I, I expect tonight's game is going to be a barn burner. I expect it to be one of the best games played in playoffs uh, during these playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, yeah, we're, uh, you know, less than an hour away from tip-off. And, and um, yeah, I think uh, Denver's going to give them a big run for their money, and it would be really fun to see a seventh game uh, in this playoffs. Uh, the East was uh, crazy. There was only one victory by – any of the teams that didn't win, uh, it was almost a clean sweep. Uh, the West has, has had, uh, you know, some very tight series and, and you know, no tighter series than this one. Uh, this, you know, will be fun. Uh, don't miss it. Uh, tune it in tonight. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping Denver extends it to a seventh game and we get some more basketball. Uh, game sevens are always great because both teams got to lay it on the line or they're going home. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be really, really fun and, and something to talk about with a lot of people for years to come. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I just I – just, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to, to get back and then start watching that game and just uh, really dig in because it's, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to yeah. be a fun one. Okay, uh, yeah, that was a, an amazing breakdown of the NBA and all the things in the world that um, have been affected um, by the social injustice and all the things that um, they've been dealing with. Uh, you know, really kudos to the NBA Players Association and the NBA owners getting together and, um, yeah, taking a stand for uh, these issues and trying to move forward. And, and um, yeah, really great to see, uh, you know, games boycotted, uh, shed a lot of light on all the issues and problems. And, and I'm happy that uh, we're moving forward uh, in a better place. And um, yeah, onwards and upwards. Uh, yeah, let's see real change happen, uh, you know, cr uh, south of the border, north of the border, across the world. And um, yeah, really nice to uh, yeah, see, see a lot of this, a lot of these problems being addressed and uh, hopefully eradicated and we can move forward as, as a more, you know, tight knit group. And, um, you know, you, you see it, you see it in many of these sports, uh, you know, black athletes, uh, white athletes, uh, many other cultures are together and uh, they all get along, you know, really, really well. Um, I don't know why it can't be that way in society too. Yeah. Um, they're, they're a great model for how society could be potentially and hopefully will be in the future. We just need to put forward the work so that we can all get there, so that we can all just be on the same equal playing field so that eventually at some point in time, I don't have to explain to my kids why they feel that they should, they're being judged. They can just be kids and just go out and play and not have to worry about skin color or anything else because they just take the person as an individual. That's it. Well said.
Very well said. Okay, I want to talk about the UFC. Uh, we both had an opportunity to watch the uh, the fights from last night's card, and uh, yeah, we uh, yeah we were entertained with uh, some really good battles. Uh, the light heavyweight um, fight between Anthony Smith and Alexander Rakic was the main event. Uh, this took on a, a, a whole new meaning uh, when John Jones decided to vacate the belt recently. And uh, the winner of this fight was going to have an opportunity to possibly fight for a title once um, Dominic Reyes and Jan Blakovic uh, unify the belt. And uh, whoever comes out of that will be the champ, uh, probably facing uh, one of these two guys. Uh, Anthony Smith had come off that horrific beating um, and uh, it didn't, did not uh, look very good in his last fight. A lot of people hoped uh, that he was going to have a better showing. Um, but Alexander Rakic was um, the dominant fighter in this one and uh, took the decision. But, um, yeah, I had lots of opportunities, actually, probably to end this a bit early. And, um, yeah, how did, you, how did you see the whole fight uh, in the 15 minutes? Uh, well, first I'm going to say they, they created some heavy, heavy leg kicks to start. But as the round was going on, it became fairly apparent to me that Rakic was clearly the stronger fighter of the two because his leg kicks started to really count more and actually even dropped them in the first. And then after that, it was just, I would say it was a snowball effect for, unfortunately, for Lionheart Smith, um, where Rakic would just slowly began to wear on him, break him down, and then uh, dominated him whenever it came to a grappling exchange, and he always ended up on top on the ground. And uh, Rakic... Uh, dominant win, man. Dominant win by Rakic. He looked fantastic today. Yeah, or sure. yesterday. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last night. Yeah, he he sure did. Uh, those leg the, those leg kicks were just uh, devastating and brutal, and and actually put um, Smith down, like you say. Uh, uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith was ranked number five coming into this fight, and Rakic was number eight. Uh, they they might switch positions here uh, on the uh, in the standings, and um, Rakic gets his way. Uh, he might uh, not uh, be in line right away for that title shot because um, that he hasn't ever had a five-round fight. And uh, you know, he was pretty new to the um, U.S. audience. I think this is the first fight he's ever fought on American soil. Uh, but the Serbian, uh, really, really well, 12-2. and two. Um, Yeah, just a, a very incredible warrior and, and uh, sh you know, displayed his dominance uh, once the fight went to the ground. Um, yeah, he was, um, you know, definitely an incredible grappler and and had anthony and a lot of compromising positions the whole 15 minutes so uh yeah it was a pretty fun uh, main event um uh yeah i think um you know, we'll see uh, what occurs in that in that uh, heavyweight title fight that we'll we'll see pretty soon and um see if these uh, what these guys have coming up um the co-main event was uh neil magny against robbie lawler uh, Robbie Lawler has been around forever. Uh, you know, one of the you know original kind of pioneers we uh, you know seen in the sport for so many years. Uh, Twenty-eight and fifteen record has been fighting for uh, so so long. Uh, Neil Magny, uh, I think um, you know showed Robbie that he's a little bit slow and uh, you know not able to to handle the uh, you know the pace that Magny can put on him. And uh, Magny looked uh, you know to be the superior guy that that night as well. Yeah, Magny, you know, Magny's game plan for Robbie Lawler was perfect. It was either all in or all out, meaning that either kept Robbie at distance or he gave him no airspace to breathe. And he kept Robbie Lawler off balance the entirety of that fight. He mixed up his wrestling, his striking, his jujitsu attacks so incredibly well that Robbie never knew what was going to hit him from, from minute to minute or second to second in that fight. He never allowed Robbie Lawler to get into a rhythm of any sort in that fight. And, uh, and ultimately, that's what won Neil Magny the fight, for sure. Yeah, yeah I, don't, um, I don't think of Neil Magny as, you know, one of those, uh, you know, longtime pioneers, a guy that's been around as long as Robbie Lawler has. But uh, that was his 17th um, win in the division. Uh, that's only two behind George St. Pierre, which um, really shocked me to see him on the list as the, the second most welterweight wins uh, in the UFC. Um, and uh, he outstruck 
Robbie, 121 to seven on the feet. Uh, the Haitian sensation has a, a three fight win streak and uh, looks to uh, be able to, you know, capitalize on, on that big victory and, and move forward. Uh, I don't know what happens to Lawler now. That was his fourth loss in a row. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he does bring it. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about uh, some of the epic battles he's been involved in. And, uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, a, f- a favorite of the UFC, but uh, four losses in a row is tough to deal with. And, but um, Magny proved that um, he's a superior fighter and, and uh, is, is going to be moving on. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, onwards and upwards for Magny. And I hope he doesn't uh, catch a beat GSP, <laughs> just uh, <laughs> selfish, uh, you know, reasons. But, uh, you know, can you believe that uh, he has 17 victories in that division? I was actually quite surprised. I, I know Magny is a busy fighter. I know he's been around for a bit, not nearly as long as Robbie Lawler, but I had no idea that he'd already had 17 wins in the division. That's an amazing accomplishment for Neil Magny. That's just, that's amazing. That's amazing that he's behind the GOAT by only two more wins. I myself am like you. I I, I prefer it if he retired, you know. <laughs> Go out on top, buddy. But no, nah, he's not going to do that. But, um, <laughs> um, I, no, I, I can only see, like you said, onwards and upwards for Neil Magny. And, and let's face it, for Robbie Lawler, this, you know, this is maybe the twilight of his career. He might be having to start to wrap, uh, wind it down, so to speak. I, I don't know how many more fights that man has left in the tank, but uh, whatever he does, I'll definitely tune in because he's one of those fighters that's action, action all the time. Yeah, for sure. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope he gets an opportunity to face a guy that, um, you know, he's on the same level with at this point in his career and, and, you know, they, he can just stand and trade with the guy. Um, yeah, we've seen some epic battles with Robbie Lawler in, the, in there. So, yeah, I hope this wasn't it for him. Uh, hope he gets to go out um, you know, on a good way. Uh, let's turn to the women's fight uh, right before this, the women's flyweight fight. It was Alexa Grasso's debut at flyweight. Uh, she looked very solid in that win. Uh, she was superior in her boxing abilities and, and um, everything that uh, – uh, G. Yeon Kim threw at her. Um, Grasso just was the, the superior fighter and won the unanimous decision, uh, 12 and 3 record. And um, yeah, it was a great debut. Uh, glad she decided to, uh, you know, fa- uh, start facing competition in this weight class. I think it's it's right for her body. Uh, yeah, I think so too. I think maybe she was putting a little too much strain trying to get down to that lower weight class. She looked fresh, she looked fit. Excellent combination, striking from, coming from Grasso towards uh, uh, towards Kim, and uh, just a dominant dominant win against a very tough fighter, a very tough fighter because Kim is more than willing to take a punch to give a punch, which she did at times. But Grasso was slick enough to slip some of those punches that were, that was a return to her being count as she was being counterattacked, and uh, her combinations were definitely on point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Good analysis. Uh, definitely. Uh, okay. So the, the fight right before this, Ricardo Lamas, Bill Algio. Algio making his debut facing a, a really stiff competition in, in Lamas and having to uh, you know fight a guy that's had that much experience. It was going to be tough for a guy coming in, but uh, Algio ended up outstriking him in the first two rounds, actually. Uh, Lamas was uh, superior by far in the in the third round, and uh, the judges ended up giving him a 10-8, um, 10-8 uh, scoring decision. Uh, and uh, they, they ended up both getting 50k for the fight of the night. Um, really fun fight. Uh, one of you know, one of the best fights I've seen in a really long time. Both really game and uh, both very very uh, you know technically superior strikers. Uh, it was a great fight. Oh, it was a fantastic fight, man. Um... Uh, Lamas was Lamas showed his heart in that fight. He showed his his veteran savvy and his experience by taking the third round the way that he did. Because he got rocked in the second. He got rocked in the second, and and it seemed like the momentum was shifting towards Algio. Came back a little bit at the end of the second, and in the third round, he put it on him. He really put it on Algio. He set a pace. He set a tone. Took him to the ground. And ended that fight with dominant, dominant ground and pound. He, he was definitely his moniker as the bully in that third round. And uh, 
he got the win, but it was not easy. That was not an easy fight for Lamas. He really had to dig deep to get that win. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, I, I was impressed by this uh, newcomer Algio. Uh, he he fought a really game fight, but um, Lamas, um, I think in the between the the second and third rounds, uh, I think his corner yeah, told him, uh, "Look out! You you better bring it, or else uh, you could be facing a loss here." And and um, yeah, the you know incredible um, uh, grounded pound and. Uh, you know, superior um, striking. Uh, it was just, uh, yeah, really amazing to see Lamas come back and, and win that fight and, uh, yeah, get himself 50K. Uh, really great bonus for both of them and uh, a super fun fight. Um, yeah, great takedowns and everything was, um, yeah, on point for Lamas and uh, good on him. Uh, he got the really big victory. Uh, let's talk about the uh, prelims. Um, we, we turned to the featured prelim, which was Mackie Patolo. Uh, against Impa Kazangane, and uh, man, Impa, uh, he was the favorite going in, 8-0, didn't know too, too much about the guy myself, uh, North Carolina fighter, came off that um, Dana White contender series, actually just got signed on August 11th, his contract, and uh, just came in, and man, uh, wow, um, what an impressive performance, uh, Maki Patolo, uh, we just saw him fight about a month ago, you and I, and and remarked at uh, his, you know his strengths and he's got some uh, very amazing power in his hands. But Impa looked uh, really great and um, yeah, this was another f fun fight to watch. Oh no, it was it was a great fight, super close fight. Um, Kasangane, uh again, like yourself, didn't know too much about the man, but as the fight wore on, he definitely was not afraid to exchange his. Um, his one-two-three counter, uh, one-two-three that he throw were so on point. Excellent accuracy with his punches against a guy that's a great striker in his own right in Patolo, and uh, it. I was I was extremely impressed. I was impressed with the way that Kasangane came out, especially for the third round. He wanted it more. I think he wanted it more. At the end of the day, he wanted it more, and he definitely took that third round at the end of that fight and got the win. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was really impressive uh, third round by him. And, and um, yeah, he definitely did want it more. Uh, uh, you know, they were both incredible shape, uh, 185ers. Uh, yeah, huge shots. Uh, both of them ate and just kept coming. Uh, you know, Mackie Patolo, Hawaiian. Uh, we see so many Hawaiians come in and, uh, you know, be able to handle incredible shots taken and give. Uh, coconut bombs. Uh, yeah, I love that, uh, that guy. And he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, yeah, it's great to see another Dana White contender series guy come in and, uh, so fast turn around after he signed his contract, get a big victory and I'm uh, looking forward to more, more fights from Impa. So, um, yeah, that's going to be fantastic to see him keep going. Um, okay. We had a middleweight fight right before that with Zach Cummings and Alessio Shiriko. Um, Zach Cummings um, ended up grinding out a um, decision win there. Uh, there was a uh, basically a knockout that happened right at the buzzer. And uh, if that fight was uh, two seconds longer, maybe even one second longer, it would have been a KO victory. Uh, he ended up getting his hand raised for the decision win, but uh, a pretty impressive way to finish that fight. Yeah, man, because unfortunately the fight was not – as exciting as I would have liked it to be. <laughs> uh, they, they really took their time with their striking. The, besides Zach Cummings doing the almost walkaway knockout, what I did hear a lot was from the ref was, please engage, engage more. Please do something in there. You know, like, I, I understand when sometimes you have to, you know, you have to gauge your, your dance partner in there. And then he's as dangerous as you are dangerous. So your willingness to strike is somewhat muted. But at the end of the day, you do have to fight. And they did pick it up in the third. Yeah. And that's what allowed Zach Cummings to have that, I believe it was a left high kick to the head of Jakiriko. And like you said, 10 more seconds in that fight, that fight's over. <laughs> that's a knockout win for Cummings. But it was, it was a great win by Cummings and a great, near walk-off knockout 
win by Cummings. Yeah, yeah, it's too bad it wasn't a, a few more seconds on the clock when he threw that kick. But um, yeah, it was uh, close to a buzzer beater. Um, but uh, he said it was the seventh anniversary of his debut on his weigh-in day. Uh, so he's been around for a long time. He was the favorite coming in and um, yeah, definitely uh, was cautious uh, with the young guy. But um, yeah, got a great victory for Cummings and he'll be moving forward. Uh, let's talk about the featherweight fight that uh, happened right before that. Uh, Alexis Bruce Leroy Caceres fought Austin Springer. Springer was um, making his debut and coming in. Um, came in six pounds overweight, uh, as we, you and I have talked about week after week. A lot of these guys are missing weight. Um, Caceres didn't give him uh, much opportunity, though. Uh, looked superior. Had an amazing rear naked choke and uh, you know, pulled him out. That was his th- – he had three opponents pull out, and he, he finally got this guy to come in. Uh, yeah, it's great to see Bruce Leroy. Uh, he's always fun and entertaining and, and uh, got a great victory. Uh, really nice submission win. Yeah, he, you know, like sometimes Bruce Leroy, he can come out a little bit wild, a little crazy, but he really took his time with uh, Austin, um, really gauged him well as, uh, as the fight went on, and eventually when he – when he saw his opportunity, he capitalized on it very, very, very quickly. He took his back in a microsecond. That was a great transition to his back. And then sinking in that uh, rear naked at basically the same time he took his back. Amazing. Uh, great dominant win by Caceres. He's definitely, he's one of my favorite fighters to watch because he's just, he's just so exciting. And you can tell that he really does enjoy his time in the octagon. Loves what he does. Yeah, he sure does. Yeah, no, he's super fun, and uh, he's on a three-fight win streak now. He, you know, like you mentioned earlier, he comes in a little wild and crazy, and he has taken some uh, losses because of that style. But I think he's getting older, wiser, and uh, he's been able to calm that down. But uh, when he, you know, when he sees openings and opportunities, he he seizes them, and and uh, super impressive performance. Um, great submission. And, uh, yeah, fun guy, uh, one of my favorite guys to have on the roster and always see him come in, uh, perform really well. And then uh, great post-fight interviews as always. Uh, you know, I think that's important because, you know, you get an opportunity to see the guy's personality once he's done. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, at the same time, these guys are building their brand, so to speak, you know. And so anytime that you have a chance to speak, well, speak up, speak well show the people and the audience who you are, you know, like, cause that does as much as it's important for you to win the fights. It's also important for you to show your personality as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. So uh, let's talk about the welterweight fight between Sean Brady and Christian Aguilera. Uh, one of the cool aspects of having former fighters uh, as analysts, as a lot of times these guys have actually trained with them and Paul Felder had trained with Sean Brady. He said he had some of the uh, most brutal uh, submission chokes and has, uh, he's had to tap when uh, Brady got a hold of him and choked him out. Uh, Brady took it, his advantage. Second round, um, got a really impressive guillotine choke and, knock, and uh, choked out Christian Aguilera. Uh, Sean Brady looked uh, phenomenal in the performance and, and got 50K for his uh, great win. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. Um, pretty impressive performance by Brady. Very impressive performance by Brady, um, especially when he decided to – they stood up on their feet for a bit, and then when he decided to take him down, he took him down with authority. Uh, very powerful double-leg takedowns uh, in both rounds. And then finally, in the second round, I believe, when they finished the fight, he took a double-leg takedown, and then – once he was able to finally just get his arm around the, around the neck of Aguilera, he never let it go. No. That, was, that was pretty much game over. Aguilera did his best to buck and try to get out of the position, but uh, Brady was savvy enough to know that that wasn't going to be a thing. He was never going to let him off the hook. And eventually, once he squeezed that sucker in, you, you saw his leg kick out. Like, he was like, ah! Yeah, and it was over. <laughs> it was over. That was it. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. It was, he sunk it in quick. And um, yeah, he transitioned a couple times uh, to try to get it uh, to a point where, um, yeah, he wasn't going to be able to get out of it. And he did. Uh, he said that that was a, a 10 year journey uh, for that win, uh, be able to get into the UFC. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm impressed with, with his performance. Uh, he's 13 and 0, um, you know, has a bright future. It looks like a lot of those Philly guys, um, you know, very, very uh, impressive. They, they have to battle incredibly hard on the streets of Philly, which I've spent some time on and, and, uh, you know, especially the boxers that come out of Philly, I've always been impressed and I always, you know, put, put money on them when I see a guys from Philly. Um, yeah, he came in and just proved, uh, Felder and his family and the UFC really right for signing him and getting him into a contract. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more Sean Brady. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the man's jujitsu is definitely on point and, uh, he is a problem. If he gets you to the ground, you're going to have a tough night. You're going to have to get up out of there quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Very fast. Yeah. Very fast. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So uh, to start the night, we had a couple of women's fights. Uh, Pollyanna Vienna and Emily Whitmire had a submission. Um, first round, uh, minute 53 in. Uh, anything much to add to, um, to that fight? Um, no. Uh, yeah, Vienna looked good. And uh, great win by Vienna, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, start off the night, uh, Mallory Martin and Hannah Cyphers um, had a really great battle. Uh, Cyphers had knocked Mallory down early on in the first round and uh, looked like she, uh, she might be able to get the win. But Mallory came back, uh, ended up getting a submission uh, a minute and a half into the second round, and uh, also got a 50K uh, for her submission win. Um, yeah, pretty great performance by Martin to come back after looking uh, like she was in trouble in the first round and getting uh, 50K to change her life a little bit. Oh, yeah, man. Like, she weathered the storm, and she was able to turn the fight around when it looked at its most dire. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, she, she really showed the heart of a champ and the perseverance to continue to get past that tough part so that she could finally get the win with a great submission. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a really great submission. So yeah, well, top to bottom. Um, it was a fun fight, a fun fight card, uh, lots of decisions, which, you know, aren't usually the most exciting thing. Uh, you know, we like finishes, um, either knockouts or submission wins. And so, you know, the fight was okay. Uh, fight card was okay. Um, but, uh, you know, it'll definitely do some shifting of some of these divisions. Obviously that, um, that main event uh, will uh, start taking shape as the light heavyweight division deals with uh, a new champion for the first time in many years with John Jones not being there, uh, Daniel, um, Daniel Cormier not being there. Uh, we're going to see a new champion heavyweight, uh, light heavyweight division really soon. And uh, it was good to see these two guys have an opportunity at it. Uh, it looks like Rakic uh, should, should get a, a shot quite soon. Yeah, I, I think Rakish will definitely get a shot uh, sooner than later. Clearly, once uh, the, the whole light heavyweight landscape gets cleared up after the, the Reyes, uh, Blank, 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 damn it, Lankowicz uh, fight. So once, once, that, once that fight happens, you're going to see more of a clearer picture for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of these uh, European names are a little bit uh, challenging to say for us. So Jan Blakowicz, I think you say, uh, pronounce it. And, uh, he's yeah. got this opportunity against Dominic Reyes, who, who looked uh, – Reyes looked fantastic against uh, John Jones last time and almost, uh, you know, was able to beat him. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think I'd lean towards Reyes on this, but uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, next Saturday, uh, uh, main event has Alistair Overeem against Aguso Sakai. Uh, looking forward to that one. Um, any uh, predictions, uh, anything that you can see uh, as we're uh, about a week out from that one? Okay, well, I, I would say that, you know, Overeem is such a savvy veteran. He's such a savvy veteran. He'll, he'll definitely have a game plan for Augusto Sakai uh, because Augusto Sakai, if I remember correctly, uh, great kickboxer, yeah. fantastic kickboxer. And I don't know, actually, now when I think about it, I don't know if they've actually ever fought each other in the kickboxing world before MMA. But I think Overeem might change it up and take him down to the ground. And I think, because I know that Augusto, obviously, he can, he can stand and bang. But uh, his, his, his skills on the ground might not be as good as he would like for right now. I'm sure that's the same thing that he's constantly working on. So... I, I expect a great fight. 
But I think in this particular fight, I think you'll see Overeem take a goose to, to the ground and control him there. Yeah, that's probably a really smart move on on Overeem's part. Um, yeah, Sakai. Uh, yeah, Sakai's. Uh, I don't see um, Overeem in any of, of his record here in front of me. Um, okay. You know, he has fought some, uh, you know, savvy old veterans uh, in Bellator before he came onto the UFC. Uh, Czech Congo, um, he took his, his only loss to. Uh, we see some of the other guys that he fought, but uh, no Overeem. Possibly in the, uh, like you say, in the kickboxing world before um, he uh, joined in. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be a fun fun fight to watch, fun fight to break down. A lot of other um, fights will come through and uh, we'll see how it um, all pans out. But um, yeah, Jason, uh, always fun to break down the UFC cards with you. I'm glad you got an opportunity to to see this one and um yeah I'm, I'm glad we we were able to meet up on a sunday and and discuss uh last night's card and look ahead to next week uh, i'm sure we'll be able to do this a week from now and and um yeah thanks for your time as always oh man i look forward to it thank you for having me again and uh the last thing i want to say is uh change is not easy to affect change takes a lot of perseverance and hard work and it will come in time but it's a fight that so many people are getting on board because it's a fight worth winning and fighting. And so as we go through this in time, eventually, slowly but surely, we will change things for the better for ourselves and for our future generations. Nice. Oh, man. Well said, as always. Um, yeah, I, you know, I look forward to our time every week, Jason. And and uh, it's nice to see the world changing. Uh, we obviously had a world changing moment with this pandemic and it caused the world to have to stop for a few minutes and reflect on you know, the things that are right in the world and the things that are wrong in the world. And obviously um, when uh, this Black Lives Matter movement came on, uh, everyone was finally able to really shed some light and say enough is enough. We're not moving forward anymore with um, you know, these things happening constantly. It's been a 400 year battle and and uh, yeah, I'm sure there's more battles ahead, but uh, it's great to see some really good moments coming as uh, the change is happening and, and uh, maybe the change uh, won't be too far into the future. Yeah, for sure. Amen, brother. Amen to that. Amen. Okay. I'll send you on your way. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Have a great week ahead. I'm sure we'll be in close contact and look forward to next time. Thanks so much, Jason. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye for now.